Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today is The Stacks Book Club Day. We are discussing our September pick, The Undocumented Americans by Carla Cornejo Villavicencio, with our guest, Lupita Aquino. If you've missed either previous episode with Lupita Aquino or Carla Cornejo Villavicencio, I suggest you go back and listen to those incredible conversations. On today's episode, we examine this National Book Award long-listed memoir meets reporting on the lives of America's undocumented people. There are no spoilers on this episode. Remember to listen all the way to the end of today's episode to hear our book club pick for October. As a reminder, everything we discussed on today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love the Stacks and want to show your support, consider joining the Stacks Pack. Those are folks who contribute monthly to the podcast on Patreon and earn perks like our virtual book club and shout outs on the show. That's right. We have a virtual book club where myself and other members of the Stacks Pack get together and discuss our book club pick each month. I could not make this podcast without the generosity of the Stacks Pack. So if you want to be a part of the fabric of this show, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. This week, I am saying an extra big thank you to our newest members, Brianna Peterson, Christine, Calissa Holdcraft, Noelle Perkins, Clara Howell, Ruth Berta, Allie Fleming, Kristen, Santorina Davis, Shannon Doherty, Kendall McMahon, PM, Carrie Murray, and Libby Gorman. Thank you all so, so much. All right, let's do it. The Stacks Book Club September. Here we go. All right, everybody. I am back with Lupita Aquino. We're talking today about The Undocumented Americans by Carla Cornejo Villavicencio. And we're going to dive in deep to the book. There will be spoilers in the sense that if you haven't read the book, we're going to talk about details. But because it's nonfiction, I don't know that there's too much spoiling going to happen. All that being said, Lupita, welcome back. Um, thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited to talk about this book with you. I know that yeah. you read this book, I think, before it even came out. And yep. you're a big champion for it. And I like a last minute loser, just didn't get around to it until we decided to talk about it for the show. And then I read it very quickly, especially for me. And I'm so excited to talk about it. So we always start here. What did you think of the book? 
I, I absolutely loved it. I think it was uh, the first time I, well, one of the first times I saw myself reflected in the pages, but also to have the ability to learn so much about an experience that I have so, I have no memory of. Mm. So, um, or that I and somehow have never acknowledged the memories I have. I think that's a better way to put it. Right. Um, is, you know, you just kind of live and it's not until someone gives you the language to um, express yourself on how you've lived or, you know, to say, this is how I've lived that, you know, it right. becomes real for you. Right. And because your, your family came to America as undocumented immigrants and mm -hmm. you were two, you said? Yeah. Yeah. I think I mentioned when we spoke earlier this month that, um, uh, my family came here when I was two and it was me and my mom. My dad was already here. Me and my mom and my eight month old brother. Um, my mom crossed the border with a cousin of mine. Um, and it was, it's crazy to me to, I have no memory of that memory, right. you know, um, other than what she's told me and how, how they crossed. Um, so oh my gosh, yeah. how terrifying with an eight month old. My children are eight months old today. They just turned yeah. eight months old today. I cannot imagine trying to do anything with them, like go to the store even, let alone like leave my home and go somewhere new. Uh, your mom is yeah. fucking brave and a hero. That's incredible. Um, okay. Back to the book before we get into like more personal stuff. Um, so for me, I really like this book and what I found what I let, what I really liked about the book is I really liked the author's voice. I felt like mm. she writes, what I wrote down in my notes was she writes with an appropriate fury. Like yeah. I liked that she was angry and frustrated and disappointed. And I liked that her emotions matched what I imagine I would feel or or matched the way that I personally feel about injustice and things that are unfair. And I think oftentimes authors, especially authors that are quote unquote other or marginalized, try to make themselves palatable for mm. a white voice. And I just didn't get that sense from her. And I just really appreciated that because it felt like she was speaking to people. It felt like she wasn't speaking to white people. And I was like, thank you. Like, if they want to read the book, they can read the book. But like, thank you for being honest about what this stuff feels like. I guess one of the things that I really liked about this book, but also made me feel bad and sort of a little shameful myself is that I think that this book really drove home to me how a lot of the ways that I personally have ignored or dismissed the experience of immigrants um, as someone who was, you know, born in America and generations of my family on my dad's side as you know slave black people I've been in America so that's not immigration wasn't something that was ever really top of mind to me because it's just not an experience that I've had or is connected to me and that sort of made me this book kind of made me feel embarrassed about that that like maybe I haven't been doing good enough work in that space so I definitely want to talk about that I also really appreciated a lot of the issues in this book, like healthcare and ageism mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. health in general and, you know, right to work and all these um, schooling, education, all of these things are the issues that I feel like we talk about in America for quote unquote Americans. And they're the issues that we're going to be voting on in November. And they're the issues that are constantly being discussed on a national stage. And it just this book really drove home the point that 
these issues are not just for people who are American citizens in a way. Mm. And I felt like it actually made me realize how much more intensely undocumented people feel these issues, like how intense the issues are for them, like how at risk they are or how much on the fringes of these issues. And like, they're the first people to be impacted, even though they don't have a say in them. And it just really like, drove home the importance of this election in a different way for me because obviously reading it leading up to the November election I was like holy shit like yeah I want health care of course I want health care but also like there are people who are in dire need of health care and they're the people who can't even vote about this shit and like yeah <laughs> so it really drove home like that idea of how important this election is and I knew that but like yeah. even more so. So I don't know. I had a lot of thoughts and opinions about this book. Whew. No, I'm so glad you said that. Um, because I, I don't, I don't think it's something you should be embarrassed about. I think that that's part of having the dialogue and conversation and, and having people tell these stories, but at the same time, um, they're difficult stories to tell, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, that's what's so upsetting sometimes when you see crappy fiction that tries to emulate it is that this is not an easy thing to tell. Like it's a trauma. And I think that's, for me, that's what Carla writes about and and really like drives home is that this is trauma. Like this is what undocumented like folks live with every day. You know, this trauma that they went through, um, that they constantly go through being, you know, being in a country that doesn't want them back. Um, and in terms of voting, I, so I live in a neighborhood and, you know, there's black lives matter signs everywhere. And, and then like, there's this woman like two doors down who has like chalk written on all on her sidewalk. That's like, you know, did you register to vote? You have to vote. And it's just like, whenever I walk by it, I always, it always angers me a little bit, you know, and I had to really stop thinking to stop to think about it. And I was like, well, it's such a privilege to be able to vote because some people don't get to vote. Some, right. And some people like you're voting for things that like, and I was like, I told Lori, I was like, I might go on that. Like, I might go take a chalk, a piece of chalk and write, like, do you realize that you are voting for outside of yourself too? Yeah. Like you should be conscious that what you vote will have effect, an effect on other and an impact on others. Um, and I don't know if that was stupid, but <laughs> no, it's true. It's yeah, so true. I yeah. think that like, that was something that I really took away from the book is like every, every issue that comes up in this book, she really shows you how people who are in this country who are undocumented are really relying on the, the politics of this country without, you know, necessarily having a say or being able to voice their opinion and they're being taken advantage of because of that, you know, like right. that their well-being hangs in the balance of, of other people's, you know, like tax breaks, right? Like right. it's like, that's so fucked up. Like yeah. that's so fucked up that someone's humanity is reliant on like whether you're going to get an inheritance tax break for the super rich, like that's wild and that's bullshit. And, you know, and I think another thing that she does so well in this book, and I, I mean, I, again, I have not read nearly enough around immigration, nor do I know nearly enough around it. So this, you know, this conversation, I'm a little nervous about, to be honest, um, just because I'm like, I'm pretty ignorant on this stuff. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about it 
right now, except for to do better in the future. But one of the things that I really liked is that she showed we all we've all heard the phrase like blackness is not a monolith. Right. Mm -hmm, But she really mm -hmm. showed that the specific issues that face undocumented people is dependent on location and age and, you know, all these things. And she really highlighted that, like, just because you're an undocumented immigrant in America, it does not mean that you have the same experiences. And like that, that group of people is also not a monolith. And of course it's such a duh moment when I say it out loud, (laughs) but I needed to read this book to actually like internalize that. And so for that alone, I'm super grateful that this book exists. Yeah. And I mean, again, I think it's, it's what you're fed everywhere, right? Right. About what, what undocumented folks are or who they are. Right. Um, And it's just like the single story that is in the media all the time. And there's no ability to really just like look more into, you know, who are undocumented folks? What are they going through? Like, what are the families like, you know? What happens when they get older? Right. What happens when they get older? Like they're not all 22 year old, you know, people coming. Like it's not all what we're fed. It's not, it's not all like dreamers or, you know, DACA recipients and criminals, right? Like that's what we're taught. And this book does such a good job of being like, Hey, there's other stories. There are people who are doing this. There are the people who do that. There are the people who are 60. There are the people who are 14. Like, of course there are, Yeah, but we're not ever taught that. And unless you're, unless you're closely connected to that community, just like I guess any other community, you don't see that stuff. Right. And this book just does such a good job of being like, hey, look at all these other people that exist that fall in this same category. Right. I don't know. Do you, I guess I have a question for you. This is sort of like asking you to do the work. So sorry. Uh, No, no. Is the term undocumented immigrant, is that, is that okay to use? Cause it sort of feels like, it sort of feels weird to me sometimes. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's definitely what is appropriate. I think, but it's also a preference. I think, you know, uh, usually when, when you talk to someone who isn't documented, I think it just depends on the way they talk about themselves, you know, and, and although, unless they're people who are really removed from the experience, I think that's more of like myself, like I'm uncomfortable too. You know, I, I was really young. I don't have many memories. I grew up, I grew up knowing I was undocumented, but you know, other than knowing like, somebody could take you from, from me if you say anything, you know, and living with that fear, like, um, the neighborhood I'd lived in, you know, we were relatively safe, you know, um, growing up, I can't remember if I ever heard about ice raids, you know, we just lived. So we didn't live, we lived in such a kind of white neighborhood. Right. Well, ice didn't even exist then. Right, right, right. Um, that too. But I mean, in terms of like, you know, fears and in other ways, um, So, so yeah, no, but the term undocumented, I think is, is appropriate. Um, but it's, it's interesting how, and it's okay too, I think, cause I'm learning too, but how little sometimes people know about the undocumented experience and, and what it, you know, the terms, you know, I think, um, like I said, I was reading Maria Enochoso's memoir and it's, she talks about the terms and I think that's like, I was like, I didn't know that, you know, right. like, I didn't know who came up with the terms. And so, um, right. yeah. Well, and these things, 
evolve, you know, like I feel right. like yeah. maybe 10, 15 years ago, people were referring to undocumented immigrants as illegals. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. what? Like, and I know that that's wrong, but I'm, I'm like trying to think back to when that term was in fashion and I'm like, yeah. did I think that that was okay? I mean, I was young. Like I was like a teenager right. probably. I probably didn't really have an opinion either way, but I wonder if we'll look back and be like undocumented is a weird way to refer to a human. Just like yeah. we saying homeless now is like, maybe you should be, say people who are unhoused or instead of saying right, slaves, unhoused. you should say the enslaved. people who are mm -hmm. enslaved. And so I'm, mm -hmm. that's kind of what I was asking. Like, is there another yeah. way of saying like people without documentation is that different than undocumented yeah. people I don't know um, yeah sometimes I sometimes I catch myself saying um you know people without papers because then yeah. when I, you know when I was growing up we'd always say papeles like you know uh, no tienes papeles like no tiene papeles which is like you don't have papers and it's like nobody knows what papers mean but papers is like legality you know right. like right so I know what papers mean but that makes me think of Nazi Germany and uh, also slaves used to have uh, freed slaves used to have to have like a get out of jail free card that was like my free papers. Oh, so I think wow. of, when I hear papers, I think of like bad guys. <laughs> like I think of like bad, like, you know, slave catchers and yeah. Nazis. But I mean, also ice. Sure. <laughs> for sure. Like I think right. like it fits in that in my mind. Like that's what it calls to mind for me. Yeah. So. If you haven't read the book, just read the book, but yeah. just to kind of talk about it also, in addition to talking about, so the way that the book is set up is that she has interviewed people who are undocumented as mm -hmm. well as shares some of her own personal experience as someone who came to America at four years old. Her parents came, or no, I'm sorry. She came later. Her parents came right. when she was four. Is that mm -hmm. right? And she came yeah, when she right. was nine or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's, also kind of part memoir it's about her parents a little bit and her relationship to them and then all about all these other people in different locations so she talks about staten island she talks about uh the world trade center at 9 11 she talks about flint michigan miami new haven i'm missing one anyway she talks about all these places mm -hmm. um i did good i think i got most of them but it's sort of a mix of memoir and then narrative nonfiction, I guess, almost, almost essay style. Yeah. There's a yeah. through line. Like you definitely have to read the whole book, but there, the sections kind of could stand alone in yeah, some ways. Yeah. And I, I love what she says in the introduction about her translations, that she's not translating word for word, what people have said to her and that she doesn't use a tape recorder and that she's really getting at the spirit of what people have said to her and not the direct translation because so often when people use direct translation, it somehow like infantile, infantil, infantilizes mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or juvenilizes or whatever the mm -hmm. language that people use. And it takes away from the spirit of, of what they're trying to say. And it makes people who speak a different language somehow seem like less intelligent or less, mm -hmm. less well-spoken if you want to use sort of a backhanded racist term. So I wonder what you thought about that. You know, I, I thought that that was like the only way, like for me, I'm like, and I've talked to her about this too. You know, I, I think when I finished the book, I was, and I reached out to her, I was like, Whoa. I was like, wow, you did something that I feel like it was just groundbreaking, you know, 
to tell your story, um, not as your single story, but say, hey, you know, like, I know that my story is one story and there's so many other stories, but to weave in the other stories, I just, I thought that was so genius. Yeah. You know, and then also to be like, okay, well, I'm telling these stories, but I'm also in a sense giving you like the surface of them because I respect the conversations that I've had and I, the relationships that I've built to get these stories, Mm. um, you know, with my community, I was, to me, I was just like, Oh my God, (laughs) tears. You know, I was just like, this is, this is it. Like, this is beautiful. Like, this is how we talk. Like, this is how we open up to each other. And I mean, I just couldn't imagine being somebody that she approached and then she was like, she spends time building relationships and, and it's not just, okay, you told my story. I'm moving on. She still is in contact you know, with her community, she still gives to them. She still provides for them, she, you know, whatever they need, she checks in on them. Like the, um, you know, I think on that end for me, that's what made me feel shame and guilt after I finished it. You know, I was like, mm. I don't, I don't, I, uh, I have family, right. That is still undocumented. And it's really hard to talk about that because it's a scary, you know, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to say that, you know, what if something happens, you know, um, I'm, right. I put my name out there, my, you know, I know people know where I live, you know, so it's like scary to say that because I know that in saying that it's like selfish, you know, cause I'm, I'm like talking about it in a sense where I have protection, but for them, they don't have that, mm. you know, and, but even having friends and family that ha- are going through that experience, like, what am I providing? You know, Mm. I'm not a Carla. I'm not, I wish I was, I wish I could be, you know, but how do I do better? How do, how do I, I feel like for the longest time I was very much in a, like, um, in just living in my, in my experience and not reacting, you know, and I feel like she found the ability to live with her experience, but also just like react and say, okay, this is how I'm going to connect with my community. This, this is how I'm going to to do for my community. And for me, it's just like, when you <laughs> spend so much time just bottling it all in and just moving, 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 you know, um, doing the American thing, going to college, you know, right. um, and especially when you're first generation for me, I was the first one in my entire family, extended family to go to college. So, you know, I was like, I had these expectations. I just kept pushing and kept moving and, you know, never actually stopping to reflect. And so reading her book, I was just like, it was kind of like a slap in the face. You know, I was like, there's so much I'm not doing. Right. Outside of what I was expected to do, which is just keep moving. Right. Well, I also feel like don't, I feel like that's such a (laughs) universal experience in some ways, not your exact experience, but like feeling like I could be doing more, especially right now, especially with like all of the things that are all the human rights violations that are going on in this country in this exact (laughs) moment. I feel like, I feel like we must, um, I'm not, we must all, but I feel like many people can relate to that. Like you look around and you see other people are doing more than you. And it's kind of like a hard it's hard to feel like I'm doing what I can. And also yeah. I, I definitely could be doing more and like, I suck. And also, right. you know, like, it's like, <laughs> I totally, I totally get that feeling. Yeah. What did you, so one of the things that I think, like, if we look at the book critically and we yep. talk about like the mm-hmm. book 
as opposed to like all the things that's amazing that the book does and made us feel. There were a few things for me that I was like, Mm -hmm. I have questions around this. And one of Mm -hmm. them was that journalism aspect of the Um, book because she, like you're saying, she's very connected to the community, her community. She's connected to her, I guess, quote unquote, sources, if you want to use like a journalistic term. which I I think she calls them sources or subjects too. Yeah. And I'm sure that like, that's a complicated word for her to use around these people that she's become very close with and have become part of her extended community or very intimate community. Um, But I wonder what you think, I wonder what you think about that as far as this book, like she talks about how she, you know, gives money to people or she buys Mm -hmm. them, you know, like you don't, if you're a journalist, you don't pay your sources, right? Like that's like a huge, no, no, you don't give them $400 because they need it, even if they need it. And they, she brings up that picture of the hawk or the vulture that's like comes and is near the starving child, I believe in the Sudan and how the photographer scared the bird away, but didn't help the child mm-hmm. and then ended up killing himself because like, after he won like the Pulitzer for that photo right. because of like the guilt or whatever around it. And I guess my question is getting involved versus being like a quote unquote true journalist in mm-hmm. the case of other human beings, mm-hmm. is that okay? Is it make it better to be a quote unquote true journalist versus to be a true human? Mm-hmm. Does it matter if she's being a true journalist or yeah. not? And like, does it make for a better book? And does that matter? You know, like, I yeah. guess I'm kind of just grappling with like, with what this book is and if it matter, yeah. if that matters. Yeah. I mean, I think my question back to you would be like, what would you do you feel that having a true journalism aspect to it would have added to the book? Well, right. That's what I'm, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying yeah. to figure out. Like, does yeah. it matter? Does it make a better book? Does it make a worse book? Yeah. Like, what is it missing if it had that journalistic aspect to it? Right. And also, if it had that, would she have been able to get the same kind of stories? You know, like, I think wow. sometimes we think that being like objective or removed mm-hmm. leads to more objective or yeah unbiased stories but I also think on the flip side like we sort of touched on this on your first episode about medicine and about clinical trials like black and brown people don't participate in clinical trials in America for a reason and it's because they don't trust there's a lack of trust exactly and I think the same thing is probably true with journalism is that there's a lack of trust in American quote-unquote but really white American institutions so I wonder if she even if she attempted to write a book in a quote-unquote true journalistic way would she have been able to get these stories would people have opened up to her if she pulled out a tape recorder if she you know, if people asked her for help and she said, no, I can't help you, would they have said, okay, well, no, I'm not going to tell you my life story and get vulnerable for you because I don't trust you, even though, Mm. even though you say that you're undocumented, even though you Mm. say that you are here to help. Like, so I guess when I said like, talk about it critically, I don't necessarily mean Mm. to criticize the book. I just mean like to critically look at how this book came into the world, because I think you know, I think it's important and I, I feel like the New York Times had a whole big conversation with a lot of their black um, journalists. And I know that Wesley Lowry of the Washington Post actually, I think, resigned over this. But there's this assumption that black journalists and other I'm sure other journalists of color, though I can't mm-hmm. speak to that, that they are uh, that they are biased when they talk about racism or that they can't mm. be objective. And so they often get reprimanded for writing pieces that, you know, call the president 
racist instead of mm. saying like racially tinged, you know? Right. So I, I just think there's like a lot of, yeah. of white supremacy in journalism. And so I wonder yeah. about this book, if it had With been how, told yeah. another way, how it would have worked. Yeah. And I don't well, think I there's guess, an answer, I guess. A true yeah. one. Yeah. Um, I guess because it's her memoir, there's no other way to tell it too. You know, she ties in so much of her personal, her person. And I think that's probably why she steps away and she makes very clear in the beginning that she's not a journalist right? and that she doesn't want to be a journalist. Um, and I think that when I think about my community, which I'm, you know, and maybe this is my biased opinion too, is that we're, even with somebody that you don't really know that well, you're always family, you know, right. you step into some, I, I go somewhere and I see fellow, you know, fellow Latinos, or it's always in like, it's just, it's just that element that's always going to be there is that there's always that element of family. And for her, honestly, I think it's the weight of the stories that made her so giving, you know, mm. it's the ability for her to, to, to be an, an like not be able to disconnect from what she was given because she, because of the questions she's asked, you know, right. and it's like, okay, well, I just can't move on. You know, it's like, if I told you my life story and you were like, Oh, that's a lot. Great for you. Okay. See you later. <laughs> you know? Right. And I think for her, it was just like, I got, I have to do something. I, I can't live. And just knowing that I'm, I have the story and I know they're suffering. And when I know that there's things that I can do, there's calls I can make, there's money I can give, you know? So I think that for her, um, and I can't speak for her because right, this is me and this is me. And, um, what I thought when I was reading the book, this is kind of how she just responded. I think if it wasn't her memoir and she, and it was pitched more as a book that was, that uh, was like, reporting out on the undocumented um right. pe people in america i think it would be i, I think it, it would it would struggle you're right i think that there would be a different element to it right. but i think the fact that she tied herself into it i think it's the only way to get these stories yeah i mean the thing that's interesting is like the book doesn't say a memoir you know no it doesn't so that's yeah. i guess that's kind of part of where the question comes in because if it said like a memoir i'd be like okay great it's a memoir like take it with a grain of salt but I do think it's interesting the way that it's positioned as kind of like this in-between mm -hmm. thing and again I also don't know that objectivity is important necessarily especially in this story and like I don't I have a lot of questions around the journalism part of it but I don't mm -hmm. necessarily know that that journalism model is correct and like mm. you're saying like I don't know that when it comes to people's like lives if if it is honorable to be removed, I don't know, you yeah. know, like, I don't, I don't know that that's something that I believe in my heart, even though I know that that's the thing Model. that's been set up. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's like, you don't want to become part of your story, but if becoming part of your story means that you're saving people or helping people to eat or get medicine or whatever, like, okay, yeah. fine. Maybe my story is biased, quote unquote, but like, I also can sleep at night right. knowing that I did what I felt was right in my heart. I guess that gets tricky if, if you're a journalist who has beliefs that are harmful, right? Like if it was the flip, let's say, and she yeah. got inside communities and she was talking to undoc undocumented people and she then turned these people in, right? Mm. Like she presented herself as someone who was writing a book and that was her journal. Like she was like, wanted to write about them and talk about them. And then she turned them into ICE officials, right? Like getting involved the other way. Do you get what I'm getting at? 
I, I don't know. <laughs> Not that she would. I guess what I'm saying yeah. is, I guess what I'm saying is if you took another journalist and, or you took another writer and you have writer A who gets involved and gives people money and stays connected to the community and tries to help yeah. people. And then you have writer B who gets involved and then turns out to be a turncoat and yeah. sells people out and like gets people in trouble and still yeah. writes that book to write about that experience. Yeah. That is sort of what I'm getting at is like, it's tricky because I like what she wrote about and I like what she did yeah. and I appreciate the work that she did. And I think it was the right thing in my mind, but if it had gone another way, it could be yeah. really terrible. I don't know. It's just something that I think about when I think about books like this, where it's like, that's yeah. why there is this journalistic integrity, oh, but I don't I know if that's, a, I don't know if okay. that's the right answer. I see what you're saying. So you're saying that, um, that the journalistic model is could be in place to protect, yeah, um, protect folks that get interviewed and and give their stories in this sense, and whether or not not following it half-assed in a way, right, <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I, I think that there is there there could be a point there. Um, I see what you I see what you mean, and the ability to, I guess, keep the integrity of a model that hopefully is set up to protect people but at the same time um i think that if she didn't work within it it's because it hasn't in the past right no totally (laughs) i'm totally with like i just feel like it's there for a reason but i think that the reason is like inherently could be inherently like racist or inherently classist or whatever and like the fact that she worked outside of it and it worked out beautifully Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that it is the right thing to do Right. morally but I don't know like yeah. I, I I'm not questioning her I'm not questioning yeah. her I'm more questioning the idea of what she did right if that makes and I sense. did want to get back to the to you I'd mentioned like being biased and unbiased or and it biasing the story um but it's interesting I think that it would depend on the reader right yeah. um and so her intention I would assume I don't know um for sure is to provide facts right mm-hmm. facts 100 percent facts but it's the reader that de- ultimately determines whether or not that intention what the action what you know determines the intention right mm-hmm. um so i guess somebody who is conservative could pick this up or look at it and be like okay this is biased because she's undocumented and she clearly like is writing from biased undocumented her and her unbiased undocumentedness right. you know um that's <laughs> <laughs> totally that totally but i just feel like um it's just interesting that somebody would think that instead of thinking the opposite, like this is someone who has lived this experience, who um, is so connected to this experience on that level that truly understands this experience as someone who doesn't understand it, you know, um, it's connected. Right. It makes me think of that time that um, in minor feelings where Kathy was talking about looking for a Korean therapist have you read Minor Feelings? I haven't read it yet. I have it. I know okay, I so to. it's very beginning. I'm not spoiling it, but she's talking about looking for a therapist that's Korean because she, you know she wants to be able to talk about what it's like and wants someone to know understand the pressures that's that live within the Korean community. And anyway, she ends up not being able to find one. And then she has this line in this moment where she's just like, "Well, maybe it's easier to, to explain something to somebody that doesn't understand it, mm. right?" But I think that this book has such a narrow focus in the sense that it isn't written for white people and it isn't written for somebody who's not undocumented 
you know, it's written for undocumented people and for them. And I think she's very clear about that. And I, I did worry in a sense about like, even when I shared it, you know, in, in my audience, I was like, well, I want to say it's not for people that are, you know, like, I want to say it's not for you. Like it's for me, right. but how, how, how is, how can I say that without it being selfish? Right. You know, but then I was like, there's so many things that everybody else has. <laughs> Why can't yeah. I have one thing, you know? So I, what do you think of that? Like, and when somebody tells you like, okay, this book isn't for you. I don't like, I'm not, I'm not bothered by that at all Yeah, okay. because I feel like every book that I read for a certain amount of my life was not for me. Right. You know, like as a black woman, how yeah. many books that you're taught in school are written for you? Right. For you. Yeah. So no, I, I feel like, I feel like people of color, people who are in marginalized groups, like I think that we're able to read things that aren't for us and still appreciate them and look at them critically and understand them, even if we don't get every reference, even if we don't, even if we don't feel everything in our core, it doesn't mean that it's not valuable and, and exciting and interesting and new and worth reading critically and worth applauding. And, you know, I mean, I think. I think that that's something that I, I can't speak for you or anyone else, but that's something that I inherently understand about being a reader yeah. is that things aren't necessarily for me because I've had to learn how to read these texts by straight white men from 1832 and be like, oh, I understand why alliteration is beautiful. And like, I understand that human suffering, even though <laughs> your suffering is like, come on, give me a break, guy. You're suffering as you didn't have tea and crumpets at your little dinner party, like right. You know, but you like, still found yourself in that suffering somehow, sure, right? Of course, like thirteen yeah. year old you were like, oh my god, I, I know was what like, that I feels need like. tea and crumpets. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. This whole idea yeah. that like you need to see yourself in something to appreciate it yeah. is is silly. But also on the flip side, when you do find something where you see yourself as someone who's in a marginalized group, it can be like so life affirming and life changing. So I appreciate representation matters and I appreciate audiences. And I actually find it a little disingenuous when authors say, I wrote this book for me. When Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, if you wrote this book for you, it would be a journal. Mm -hmm. Like you knew other people were going to read it. You knew that other people were going to have feelings about it. So maybe you wrote this book for people like you. Maybe you wrote this book for people like you to feel seen, but like you weren't your only audience. Right. And I think like even Toni Morrison has said things like I write for myself, which like, sure, you could definitely write for yourself. But like, I think the idea that it's only for the author, like that that was their only audience that they thought about. I think that that's a little. Yeah. I'd always have that question too, is, is. And I know that isn't that like you interview authors yeah. and I've been thinking I've, I've interviewed a few. So it's, I've, but I feel like it's kind of a taboo question, isn't it? Like, who's your audience? I like, sometimes it's like a question ask. you don't ask. I sometimes ask if I think that the author will tell me an answer that's not, I write for myself. Like if oh. I get the sense that the author's just going to tell me I write for me, I don't ask it because I'm not interested in that answer. And I don't feel like yeah. getting in a fight with an author, <laughs> but like I interviewed Morgan Jerkins recently and I knew that she would have an interesting answer because her book was about the black migration and um, black mm-hmm. diaspora. And I thought, huh, she's going to have thought about this in a different way than someone who maybe just wrote like a novel about a similar life experience. So, but yeah, I do think, I do think that authors don't necessarily grapple with that conversation. Yeah. And I, I think I wonder if it's because it kind of eats into the integrity of their work. 
and who they think maybe will then pick up their work if they hear them talking uh, about like, oh, this mm. book isn't for white people. They think, oh, right. white people won't read my book. But well, you know. that was my hesitation too, you know, with the sharing. I, I mean, about a book I love, this book that I loved on Instagram. I was like, okay, if I say it's not for you, then people aren't going to pick it up. And I need people to pick it up because it might not be for you, but you still will learn a lot of stuff from it that you should know, you know? Right. Right. So it's, it's, I guess it's an interesting balance. It, yeah, it really is. Um, I think, yeah, I think that I also, again, I don't know that the author's intention, mm-hmm. like who they are writing for necessarily matters to me. Mm. Like, I'm like, okay, that's nice that you weren't writing for me, but like, I'm still going to read the shit out of your book and I'm still going to have feelings <laughs> about it. So if you didn't want me to do that, you shouldn't have published a book. Like yeah. that's sort of how I feel. Um, which isn't to say that their intention doesn't come through in the work, but I don't think yeah. it is important. I, you know, I'm a big, I'm a huge stan of Im- impact over intention. And I think that mm. that's true for art. I think like the consumption of art um, is the consumption and then critique of art is like such a h- huge part of what I think that culture is based off of and society is based off of. And so I think that if an author puts something out and they think they're doing X, Y, and Z, but they end up doing A, B, and C, like, I think that that's important to talk about, um, regardless of if they were doing it for me or not. Um, and also, I mean, part of that is me having to then like check myself and like my, the things I bring to the table when I discuss the work. Yeah. Let's pause for a second to take a break. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. So one of the things that Carla talks about in this book that I had never thought about, and I'm sure you definitely have thought about um, when we talk about experience, right? Yeah. Is the way that education for undocumented children and children of undocumented parents, how education is almost like this respectability politics, like being Mm -hmm. good at school, how it's this idea of like, if you're good at school, you can save your family and how it's like this obsession with education as a solve to so many Mm -hmm. problems. And I'm just curious, like what, what your experiences were like in education because she kind of talks about it both as like this fake dream like this fake yeah no and she's so on I think that's something that I really connected to with her work too is you know I think when we got when growing up that's all I heard it was like school you know school everybody's everybody's goal and all of my entire extended family that lives here like it's all focused on like college getting mm-hmm. to college and you know even now um you know, that my, some of my family is struggling with, you know, with COVID and having loss of jobs. And you know, when I talk to some of my aunts, my aunts are like, you know, oh yeah, you know, you get to stay at home and work from home and that's because you went to college and, mm. you know, such and such, which they talk about my cousin, such and such, you know, they, they didn't go. And so, you know, and, and I was like, yeah, you know, and I, to me, like I just, the comparison is just unfair, you know? And yeah. so I, I think for me, it's it's a struggle of guilt. And, and there is a little bit of shame of it because it's like, hey, you know, you made it out, quote unquote. Mm. You made it out. You, you went to college. You know, you you have a job where you're you don't physically you're not using your hands. You're not in labor. You're not in retail. Right. So you're right in that terms of it's respectable. Um, and but at the same time, it's like that to me, I'm like, I don't ever want you to think less of anyone in my family because they didn't right you know so for me it's like learning how to you know when I was growing up you everybody was all of the cousins were always like a fight to be like you know to get put on a pedestal where you're like oh yeah I'm, I'm, I'm like the favorite I'm like mm. the best you know right now for me because I'm one of maybe like a handful of my family that's went to college graduated has a job that isn't you know um labor um so for me, it's constantly just kind of changing the story and being like, I mean, it, it makes no difference, you know, like, right. I like, but acknowledging like, yeah, you know, I feel, I feel tough. It's tough that they have to go to work, you know, and I get to stay at home, like, but they are hard workers, you know, they're right. working hard, you know, um, right. and that's something that college doesn't make a difference, you know, like right. it doesn't make a difference to have that work ethic. Right. And like yeah. being good at school is something different than like being a worthy human exactly yeah right like you could be smart and not good at school right you could be hella fucking smart and not good at school you know like and and 
and those things aren't mutually like being good at school. It doesn't necessarily mean anything that you have a good understanding for the system that is education. I think that she does a good job of kind of driving that point home, especially like just the pressure of school in a Mm -hmm. way that like it's like a life and death type thing in a way that it's not if you're if you are American or if you have your papers, if you will. Right. (laughs) Um, And like one of the things specifically that I did want to talk about in the book was the 9-11 section, the World Trade Center section. I found that part to be that was it's like the second or third section. And that was the part in the book where I took a moment and was like, I don't know shit. Like, yeah, that I was had the... the same moment as you, though. You did? Okay, <laughs> I good. did. I totally did. Because, like, I yeah. pretend, I, you know, you know this about me, and I think some listeners do, is, like, I have a slight obsession with, like, national tragedies or, like, large-scale mass death events. So, like, Jonestown, I have a little bit of an obsession with 9-11. Like, these are things that I'm, like, very interested in reading about and learning about, and I'll watch, like, any documentary about these things. And it was really, like, a slap-in-the-face moment when I realized that, like, yeah, there were delivery workers in there. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, we don't talk about those people. And, no. like, I knew there were people in the restaurant on top of the building, like, the windows of the world on top of the South right. Tower, whatever, North Tower. Like, I knew about those people. But I didn't ever think, like, oh, yeah, I'm sure tons of those people were undocumented. Yeah. And, like, you never think about the Americans who died, people who died who didn't have who didn't have documentation and therefore were even more erased. Right. Like we, and like there also were people who were documented Americans or people who were born in America who are black and Brown that we never get to talk about um, who died. And, and, and like even the heroes of nine 11, like the police officers, allegedly heroes and the definite heroes of like the firemen and all the first responders and stuff. Like many of those people are black and Brown. Mm-hmm. And like we're like we just they're so erased from that narrative. And she says like nine eleven is a tragedy for white people. Yeah, it is. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like I suck that I never thought about that. But again, I think I'm. I mean, yeah. But I was, you know, what I I kind of got angry, and I was just like, it's again what we don't see, right? right. I think even when I was you know, looking at the Univision and Telemundo, like reporting on it, it was just showing exactly what CNN was reporting. It was right. just translation, you know, and, and, and they know, I mean, not to give them, they do to credit them. They do report on, you know, the community and stuff, but for nine eleven, it was just very much like, this is who it is that we're mourning yeah. versus like, this is the potential of, who we lost that we didn't even know were there that, you know, active people that were helping or that do help. These are the people that are helping. Right. Like no one was reporting on those stories. Right. And still, I don't feel like there's much reporting on those stories. No. And like, I read that book that I loved, uh, the only plane in the sky by Garrett M. Graff. It was about, mm-hmm. it was like an oral history of nine 11 and I read it and I loved it. And I don't remember him talking to anybody who was like taking a part, like the wreckage and I don't remember him talking about uh, talking to or about anybody who was undocumented in any way like those people were completely erased from his like comprehensive oral history which is just really sad and disappointing because I think that book is great but it definitely made me look at that book differently in a way of like 
yeah, Garrett, like you've had 20 years almost like you could have found someone. Yeah. You could have found someone. And if you didn't like, and you should have found someone. And if it was hard to find, you should have done that work because those stories are important. And those people, those undocumented people who were helping to like take apart the wreckage and like to clean up ground zero, like those people sacrifice their health and their well-being and they are dying from cancer and lung disease and all the same stuff that the white people are dying from. And like, it just, it's like makes, it makes me so mad and, and it makes me feel like complicit in a way that I don't like because I, I didn't know, but like, that's not an excuse. I should have thought yeah. like, like it's like, it makes me mad at myself because I'm like, I feel like I'm being whack. No, I mean, imagine being part of the community and then feeling like, <laughs> like you're sure, like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot and it, and I don't, I feel like if you're right saying, I don't know. I think that's why I struggled to, I wrote about struggling to write a review for it because it just really became like a, like a me telling a story about myself and the ways in which I didn't know. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's totally. like, and, and when we talk about nine 11 and I think that she touches on this, um, one of the one, one thing that I would say that I wish there was more of in the book. Mm-hmm. And, and this is like my only real critique of the book. That's like critical at all is that I wish there was more context for a lot of the stuff that she discussed. Mm. Like she sometimes like touched on like how Obama wasn't great on immigration. And like, I wish there was just a little more of like the historical context to kind of frame, Mm. frame the situation. Because one of the things that I wish that she was able to go into a little bit more um, was that 9-11 was a huge, obviously turning point in America because of the way, uh, especially when it comes to immigration, because of the way that it changed how Americans thought of outsiders or like gave them cover to be racist and xenophobic in a different way. And like everyone knows that the perpetrators of 9-11 were like a terrorist group and they were centered in like Afghanistan and Pakistan. And yet that had reverberations on people coming to America from Ecuador and Honduras and like, and that it was the reason that ICE, ICE exists because of 9-11. You know, and like, I just wish that there was a little bit more of that history in the book because Mm. I think that it would drive home her point even more. Like the way that politics can shape. I mean, maybe that's not her full point. That's not Mm. really her point. But I think it would drive home and help resonate some of the stories if we understood the ways in which these political events can can be world changing for people even if they're not directly connected you know yeah no for sure I I, I you so you you're thinking more terms like like facts <laughs> well just like context like a little yeah, more historical yeah. context so sometimes she touches on the historical context of things yeah. like in the section about the the men in the church taking asylum in the church right um she talks about like a little bit about that asylum and like how that that how that's legal and kind of the history of that and i found that to help me understand what was going on mm. better and i wish that there was more of that throughout the book like i thought that section did a really nice job of kind of putting the experience in a greater context to understand like this isn't just a one-off thing or like right. that 9-11 had reverberations in a way that I would have liked just a little bit more of that. I don't know. I, that that was just for me. Also, as a person who loves reading nonfiction, 
Yeah. I always love when a nonfiction book can do that narrative nonfiction stuff and still teach me a little bit more about like the historical context. So that's like kind of where I come in. That's like my intersection yeah. as a reader. Well, I'm going to plug Maria Inocioso's memoir again. So I'm going to read should. it. You're making me yeah. feel like I need to no, read it. No, she really includes uh, history. Um, and I see what you mean with Carla's. I think I was just so taken with the fact that I just was like reading just page for page anything and everything right. I would want to say or write about my own story and experience that, you know, and, and just having the language that I kind of, I really just kind of saw it as a memoir. And so the, the bits that I was given, like were enough for me. Yeah. So I, I think that's, um, and then also I don't, I, I read nonfiction, but not as much as, as you or as like <laughs> I should. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's a should. Well, I, you learn so much from it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I like it though. If I didn't like it, like if I was just reading nonfiction to read, to learn, I would not read nonfiction. Like mm. I find joy in reading nonfiction. Like nonfiction excites me in a way that fiction doesn't. Mm. So like, I don't, I think people sometimes think that there's like this like high brow, like, oh, you read nonfiction. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, like if a novel was that good to me, I would, I would read or not. Like, you know, it just yeah. doesn't resonate with me in the same way. Um, I just don't want people to think that I think that I'm smart or anything. No, I mean, you are smart. You're super smart. But I think that when I think of people that read nonfiction, I think um, people that can that really just like to be in facts, you know, in like in history. And sometimes yeah. I'm, to me, I'm just like, you know, I'm like, OK, it's I'm just now realizing that I, I, I like strangely find it exciting. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'm starting to. I, I got to give you some like really just amazing nonfiction because I feel like that's also key because some nonfiction can uh, just be so boring, but yeah. like if you can mix the nonfiction, the narrative side with, yeah. with like the facts and like with the history and you can do it well, it can be like, holy shit. Mind blowing. Okay. Yeah. At least for okay. me, at least for me. I'm curious if there's any things about the book that you wanted to touch on that we haven't gone to. I have so many things that we did not get to, but I want to know uh -oh. if there were things that stuck out for you. Oh, I want to know. I, I just really want to know more about you, what, what you were thinking and, you know, what came, what struck you. I mean, and, and I, I'm sad we ran out of time. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're not out of time, but we're getting to the end. Um, yeah. I will say this. One of the things that I ended up looking up from reading the book was what kind of percentage of um, undocumented immigrants are from Spanish speaking, Latin American, I guess not Spanish speaking, but Latin American mm -hmm. countries, because I did find it interesting. Um, obviously her experience is some, she's from, her family's from Ecuador. She's from Ecuador. And mm -hmm. so I, she speaks Spanish. Obviously her place of entry comes like in the Spanish speaking community. But I was curious, I want, I'm curious if she ever considered talking to undocumented Americans from other parts of the world. Oh, and what that okay. might look like. And so I wanted to know like kind of what the breakdown is. And it's interesting um, in 2018, this is from Pew, Pew, the Pew Research, um, is that 25% of undocumented immigrants, or I guess all immigrants maybe come from Mexico mm -hmm. and another 25% come from other Latin American countries. So 50% mm -hmm. in 2018. And I guess like I, what I was looking at before was saying that... Um, it used to be like 20% total. So there's been like a large shift in um, who's coming to America. 
um, based on like the laws that were in place because there used to be laws that were, you know, exclusionary to other, other countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And I just, I wonder, I, I like what I like about this book is that it's so specific and like, mm-hmm. it's so specific to her experience and her, her communities and the places where she could have access. But I definitely did think I'm like, huh, I wonder what the, I wonder if it's similar or different for someone who's undocumented from an, a country in Asia and like what that's like. And because we don't right. share borders or like, there's no like, um, way of entry on the ground, if that's different. Right. And but that's way like a different, different, yeah, but I'm sure that's like a totally different yeah. book, you know, like that's, that's a, a totally whole, different book. Yeah. But that's something that came up for me. And then another thing that um, came up for me that I just, I mean, I, another thing I hadn't thought about that I think is like so incredible is the kind of work that undocumented people are forced to do because that's the kind of work that's available to them. Yeah. Um, I think that like the way that she talks about age and like, mm physical bodies and like the health of people and what people are able to do and like how these jobs aren't necessarily sustainable and how they're so degrading and how like the money is so minimal when she talks about her dad getting like a $20 tip and like those moments just really stuck out for me. Um, and like, I know here in California, like we have many, many, many undocumented people because California has many sanctuary cities and like there's a lot of reasons why and because we're close to Mexico and we share a border and all these things. And it made me really think about the ways that I interact with people who are immigrants to this country. I don't know if they're undocumented or not, but the people that I come in contact regularly with, like, am I treating them? It just made me question how I treat people. Yeah. And I think that that's a hard thing to grapple with personally. Like I would love to think of myself as being like a perfect, wonderful human who treats everybody the same. And I think that like when there's a language barrier and there's like this sense of this, this job is beneath me in some ways or something that like, that I'm not like being a good person. And that's really hard to say out loud into a microphone that I know other people are going to (laughs) hear, but I think it's important and I think it's true. And I think that like, I don't think that anyone I don't think that I ever want anyone to think that I'm a good person yeah. without like flaw and like that I don't have plenty but of places is, that I don't see. But the problem see. is not grappling with it, right? Right. No, of course. Of and course. That's why I'm doing saying, yeah. the opposite, which is already better than anyone else. <laughs> right. Right. Of course. But I just think like, yeah. ugh, I don't know. It just, it, it's tough. It's tough. Well, it's I mean, hard stuff. Like yeah. if, if my fam, like again, I, it's just not a community that I'm a part of for many mm-hmm. reasons. And like, mm-hmm. you know, my mom's family, my grandparents came, um, from, from Europe, they came from like Eastern Europe, but my grandparents both were passed away before I was born. Like, it's just not something that I connected to. And I'm sure my parents have feelings about it though. I don't know that my grandparents were undocumented. I don't, I don't know what that looked like. I think that they were, I think I don't actually, actually I do know. I'm pretty sure my grandfather, was undocumented and actually came through Mexico, mm. but from Ukraine. Oh, wow. I, or something like that. I don't know. It's a crazy story, allegedly, but I don't remember. But anyways, the point of the matter is, I think that what really, really, really resonated with me about this book more than anything is like the ways that people who are undocumented are treated like shit. 
yeah. and like less than human in so many ways. And like the ways that I play into that and the ways that like the media and this idea of like criminality and all this shit is in my mind, even though I try for it not to be. Yeah. I was going to ask you um, if you noticed or, and this is something that kind of stuck out to me. Um, did you notice that she never asked any of them their, their, about their journey here? Yeah. Or their story. Hmm. I wonder if you picked up on that. I did not, but that is so interesting because I think that oftentimes when we talk about undocumented immigrants, it's that part of the story and Mm -hmm. it stops when they get to America. Yes. Like a lot of the stuff that I've read about undocumented people is about the journey is about the what are the what's the fuck is it called? Um, Yeah, whatever the train, right? America is obsessed with La Bestia and yeah. it's the way it's been romanticized is disgusting. I'm just yeah. going to leave it at that. <laughs> no, but like, that's like what I know. And like, I know about like one of my favorite books about, about the journey is the, um, Luis Alberto Urea book, the devil's highway. Mm. And that's an incredible book, but like, it's nonfiction. It's nonfiction. Yeah. And it, it's older. It came out in 2004. And I feel like when it came out, that story wasn't necessarily being told Mm-hmm. in the way that I feel like it's constant now, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Do you know what book is actually, I don't, have you ever read um, The Faraway Brothers? The Faraway Brothers? No. The Faraway Boy, The Faraway Brothers. The Faraway Brothers. It's about um, these twin boys who come to America. It's a, it's a nonfiction. Um, mm-hmm. And they are undocumented and they are like maybe 16 or something and they come and they have to go to school in America and it's about their experience in America. And it actually does a good job of doing both the journey, but also life in America. The author is Lauren Markham and she is a white woman. She was actually worked at the school where they ended up going to school in um, the Bay Area. But it's a really good book. I really liked it. Um, but you're right. I did not notice that she didn't ask people about their journey. And she doesn't even talk about hers. Yeah. I mean, that's brilliant. Yeah. And I think, I think to her point for me, that's something that stuck out is that, I mean, what difference does it make to know? Not that it's not a valid experience, you know, Mm -hmm. but I feel like you're right. America's so stuck on wanting to have every story possible, you know, even thrill, even throw the the freaking journey story into a thriller to be able to understand, you know, like, this is why you're here. This is why you're in, you're invading my country. Right. Well, yeah. I and think, it's like, yeah. what? <laughs> but I think also part of the reason America's obsessed with it is because it doesn't, then we don't have to grapple with all the shitty things that right. we do to people once they get here and the ways that the they're minimum treated. wage. Yeah. The less than minimum wage, the cheap yeah. labor, the hours that people are forced to work, the way that mm-hmm. people, like she says, treat their pets better than they treat other humans that are undocumented. Like, yeah. I think that if you start to tell the stories of people's lives here, then you have to grapple with all the terrible things and ways that Americans treat undocumented people. Whereas if you talk about the exciting, thrilling adventure on a train that's going so fast and like, ooh, you could get killed or you could die or you could be raped or you could be exploited. Mm-hmm. Like that takes all of that happens outside of America. And so therefore right. it's not America's problem and America right. can enjoy it as like some form of entertainment versus having to actually grapple with 
or have a dialogue and conversation around yeah. making policies and change. Right. Around the <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible things that Americans are doing to other human beings when they come here. And she yeah. says in the book, you know, people should have the right to move. Yeah. If they're, if they're, if they feel like they need to. Yeah. Like for whatever fucking reason, you should be it's, able to move. Migration is a very natural thing in animals. It's existed forever. Right. And that these I mean, borders are the injustice that they're they're fake and yeah. like not to mention when we talk about so central and south america like that used to be yeah. like california is mexico yeah and not the other way around like no. this land at one point belonged to mexico and so like this land is is not is not for white americans like we took they took that land yeah but yeah, uh, that's such a great point. I'm so glad you said that because I don't think I would have noticed that. When people listen to this episode, I should I should say this in the beginning, but I they will have already heard a conversation between myself and Carla. Okay. So, so I'm going to try not to ask any of the questions that we talked about today, but I might have to bring that part up. <laughs> no, please bring it up. Please bring yeah. it up because I, I think it's I think it's important. Um, I think it's something that she's very passionate about too. We've talked about it before. Um. And I think maybe she even mentioned it to me. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, it's something that I picked on. But at the same time, it's like, for me, because it's such a natural experience, like, you know, when you said she was, you know, she kind of, you love how she was angry and her tone was yeah. kind of angry. And I've, other bookstagrammers have said the same thing and praised it for those reasons. But I'm just like, this is just how I would talk about my experience too, you know, because well, right. it's natural. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. don't even know if it's anger so much as like, I use the word fury because yes. I feel like that yeah. can have a lot of other emotions besides just anger. Like I right. feel like, and I think it's, I think it's accurate. Right. Like it's the right, it's the correct tone to take with this book. And I think other people who are less brave or more, or more concerned about the white gaze would have written a book with a different with a tone. different tone. Yeah. I mean, someone, a, a, per, a black person's book that I can, can kind of compare it to is, I don't know if you've read Heavy by Kiese Lehman, but, yeah. but he has that same, that same fury. That's yeah. like, I actually don't care who's reading this book. Like I have yeah. to tell this story in this way yeah. because that is the truth of this, of the center of this story. Right. And I feel like she has that. And like, that is yeah. what makes the story so this book so resonant and powerful to me is because she's approaching it from a way that I'm just like, yo, she's talking about she's talking about something that she feels truly and deeply. And like, yeah. no matter how I feel or think or I grapple with all the other things, I can't I can't question that part of the book. Like, I can't right. question her connection to the work her feelings about the book mm -hmm. her point of view like that is so inherent in the work which I just I love when authors are able to do that yeah the last thing we always talk about is the cover and the title so I'm curious okay. what you think about the cover and the title um so I don't know if you saw got to see the uh advanced readers copy that I shared before mm -mm. the so this the cover was completely different oh really it yeah it had barbed wire it didn't have the um, papers on the back. It had barbed wire, I think, around a flower. Um, I was, girl, the, bob, the barbed wire I was, like, done with. But I was, like, I, I read the book. I was, like, this is, this is, it, forget the cover. I hate the barbed wire, but whatever. Let's move on. Um, and then, and then she, you know, then I saw the finished copy, and I was, like, oh, wow. Like, this is 
definitely interesting. This is powerful. And I would ask her about that. I'm going to. I'm Please going to. Please ask her about the cover. I'm also going to share um, a link in the show notes to your review so people can see the picture okay, on your Instagram. I, yeah, yeah. It's it's in your review. Yeah. Okay. So, so that'll be in, in the show notes. Do you know what the flower is on the cover? Um, I don't know what the flower is, but um, the blood around it with the papers, you should definitely, there's something there that she felt really strongly about um, okay, well, including it. Well, shit. Okay. I, well, I, <laughs> I like the cover of this book. I don't, I felt like when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, I don't know, understand it necessarily. And so sometimes like I see a cover and I'm like, this cover makes so much sense and I get it. And sometimes I see a cover and I'm like, I'm very curious what's happening here. And this was one of those yeah. books where I was like, I don't know, but yeah. I love the title. I love Me the too. undocumented Americans because I love that she's driving home the point that just because they don't have documentation doesn't make them any less American yes. because they're yep. contributing to the fabric of America. Yes. And I think that like, she just yep. says it. And again, that's to that point of like her fury. Like she just is saying the truth. Like she's just telling us what's up. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly why I was, I fell in love with the title. I was like, she's taking, you know, cause I've always felt myself wary of calling myself an American. And she was like, you know what? No, like we're doing this, you know, this is, we are here. We contribute. Why can't we use this term? So, right. Like take and it like, back. <laughs> right. And like, what do paper, I guess, like what do papers have to do with being an American? Exactly. Like I don't have papers. I mean, I guess I do. But like, I was like, I was like, well, I like I do, but like, I don't think about them. Oh, like, I don't yeah. say like, oh, I'm a documented American. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think using those words together is really powerful. And I think it's like a reclaiming of, of the language around. It's a reclaiming for sure. Yeah. I love uh, that you said that. I just, uh, I'm so glad we talked about this book. I've been wanting to talk about this book. I've been wanting to read this book and talk about it on the show because I just knew that it would be there. And so I'm so grateful for you coming on and sharing your insight and also like being okay with kind of doing a little emotional labor and teaching me things. <laughs> no, you do, you do emotional labor and teach me things all the time. So <laughs> trade off. That's why, we're, that's why we're here. That's why we're here, right? Yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much, Lupita. Um, everybody else, if you haven't read the book, go read the book. We didn't really spoil anything. There's a no, lot more didn't. in the book. There's so much yeah. more that we couldn't get to. So please, yeah. please, please, please check it out. And Lupita, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you so much to Lupita for being our guest. The Stacks Book Club pick for October is the autobiography of Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley. We will be discussing the book on October 28th, and you can tune in next Wednesday, October 7th, to find out who our guest is. Please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Today's episode.